Let's hear from God today, all right? So, Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to us. We pray that you would be clear this morning. I pray, Father, you would speak to me in such a way and that your spirit would translate it to the hearts and lives of all listening here and online. And everyone said? You can be seated. Good morning. You guys awake? We are in a series in the book of James, and we're still early enough that if you've missed some of the series previously, I would highly encourage you to go back and, and catch some of those sermons that set up where we've been. Um, if you, we have an Orchard app you can get on your phone. Um, we also have it on iTunes, so I would find one of those. But today, you're going to be so excited, everybody. Um, <clears throat> if you're a guest or first-time visitor, today you have the privilege of being here. We're going to talk about temptation. And I mean, is there any topic that's just more fun than going to church and hearing about sin, right? I mean, are you ready? Oh man, uh, but I am excited. Now, now temptation, it's, it's, it's a pretty heavy topic, but I'm going to start us off. Uh, we're going to wade in, and the first thing we're going to do is watch a video, and this video is called the Marshmallow Test. This was an actual psychological test they did with children uh, where they put something in front of a marshmallow, and they, it was all about temptation and delayed gratification, and uh, it was a test on these children's lives, and you'll see some of these kids as they, they struggle with the temptation of what they're going to do. So without further ado, let's step into our topic of temptation. All right. Oh, it's funny. Temptation. You know, when you put temptation in those terms, it's funny to watch, isn't it? A bunch of cute kids trying to resist the marshmallow. It's funny. But when we look at temptation in our life, if you are living, if you are breathing today, temptation is probably not something that you enjoy talking about. And it's probably no laughing matter. For a few minutes this morning, I'm going to invite us to just drop our facade, be a little bit more honest with ourselves, and we can admit that in our own lives, temptation is not cute and it's not funny. And we would admit that it's something we face daily. We can admit that it's something we are fighting constantly. And there are certain places we know that we are standing up to temptation. There are battles we are winning. But we'd also have to stop and admit this morning, if we're honest, that there are places where temptation is getting the best of us. Places below the surface, perhaps that no one knows about and no one sees. And some of us are actually here in church today because we want some sort of hope, something to hold on to in the face of the temptations that we are dealing with. Some of us have been so burned and so calloused by giving in to our temptations that we don't even fight much anymore, do we? It's just autopilot at some point. And others of us, have so been ravaged by the ongoing onslaught and giving in to temptation that even hoping that there's freedom is hard to think about. If we're honest, temptation is a heavy burden. And it doesn't matter if you're a male or female, if you're young or old, rich or poor. It does not matter if you're religious or irreligious. We all deal with temptation. And today, in the first chapter of James, he's going to get right to the point. Remember, we talked about James and how he, he gets in our face. He sits down next to you and gets in your business. And so today, he's going to pull no punches, and he's going to give us the truth on temptation. Straight. No chaser. So, turn to James 1, verse 13. You can uh, read along on the screens or in your Bible. It says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He gets straight to the point. It's a heavy Heavy passage there. Now remember, James gets to the point because James in his entire book is after something. He is consistently writing and calling us to growth and maturity in our character and in our faith. Uh, Maturity is like the theme of James. It's nice you believe, but there should be some growth is what he would tell us. We talked in the last few weeks about trials and wisdom and how you get to mature in a trial if you persevere and how if you walk in wisdom and heed wisdom, you mature in that. And now he goes on to another venue of life that we all face, temptation. And interestingly enough, the same word we used for trial earlier, two weeks ago, is the same word we use here for temptation because temptation is a trial. And how you respond to temptation will affect you. Resisting temptation, persevering in temptation, grows your character. Giving in to temptation erodes your character. And so I want you to think right now, you don't have to raise your hand or tell anybody, uh, right now, what battlefields in your private life are you persevering? Because those are the places your character and faith is growing. And right now in your life, what battlefields in your, in your private internal world are you giving in? Because that's where we have character erosion. And James starts it off like this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. And the first word to look at in this passage is the first word. Because he says when. He doesn't say if. He didn't say perhaps or maybe. It's, it's when you are tempted because temptation, temptation will happen. And I think this is important, important because there's a belief out there that uh, we should someday mature past temptation or that temptation itself is a sin, that somehow when you're tempted, it means that you're immature or that something's wrong with you. And so the first thing to clear up in this is that temptation is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It doesn't feel good, but doesn't mean it's a sin. And how do we know it's not a sin? We know this because Jesus was tempted. You know, in Luke 4, Jesus is fasting and praying for 40 days. He's out in the wilderness, and the enemy comes to him and tempts him in three ways. And yet we read in Hebrews 4.15, it says, Our Savior understands how weak we are. Jesus was tempted in every way we are, but did not sin. Jesus was tempted, but the temptation was not sin. Point one, your temptation is not sin. You should fight temptation, but you don't have to feel guilty about being tempted. It's what you do with the temptation that determines if it's a sin. Because you see, temptation, what it is, is it is sin in seed form. Temptation is the potential for sin without yet being sin. It is sin in seed form and shouldn't be played with or entertained. Or it sh- there should be no marshmallow test with, with, with temptation. And, and we, we all know that when you sit there and you ponder sin or you, you premeditate 
sin or, or a moment and you think on it, you're headed toward dangerous territory. Another point to remember, for some of you this is important, that while you may mature in how you handle temptation, you will never mature to a place where you are not tempted. You see, many believers would say that um, they will mature, my faith will get strong enough that I won't feel temptation. And so they're disappointed in themselves when they face it. But you do not outgrow temptation. Whether you are two years old or 102 years old, you will face temptation. And we know this because Jesus was as spiritually mature as it gets. And he was tempted. So to put that, that temptation is not a sin. And also to realize that James says, it's not if you're tempted, it's when you're tempted. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. You know, God in heaven is not tempted by evil. He doesn't tempt us with evil because temptation is often an inner impulse to choose sin. And God does not have such an impulse. God is perfection. In him, there is no sin. There, there is no impulse or desire to sin. James puts this clearly because we can honestly get sideways with this belief. And I've heard people say this, that, man, God is really tempting me on this one. God doesn't do that. God does not and will not tempt you with sin. God will always, always call you to holiness. He will always call you to wisdom and good and wise decisions. He doesn't tempt us. So next time you're faced with a temptation, instead of wondering if God is there to test you, instead pray that he rescue you from the temptation. James 1.14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now there's some violent imagery here. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. Whose desire is it? It's our own it's our own desire. You see, there's something in us that has this impulse to sin and it entices us. It draws us out to do things or desire things that are not wise and not good. And the Greek word here is very interesting and very fitting. The Greek word for dragged away, it's actually a hunting or fishing term that means to bait or to lure. So think of a fishing lure. You know, it's, it's, it's a shimmering and flashy counterfeit copy of something that should be good just begging the fish to strike. And it calls and it beckons that fish out of the safety of its cover. And that's what the word means. It says it's the, there's a lure or bait that calls you out from the safety of cover. And for us, what it means is it's a counterfeit promise out there that calls us out of the cover of our integrity, out of the cover of our wisdom. And when we bite it, we are dragged away by our own evil desire and enticed. The Greek word here for entice is de la azo, and what it means, it takes the metaphor even further so that we have the bait, we have the lure waiting for us. That's the temptation. But when you take the bait, you are de la azo. And this means you've been taken, enticed, caught, and beguiled you fall for the bait of temptation and find yourself on the hook. And your character it's caught and filleted before you know it. James 1.14 says, but each person tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire. This is very important for us to realize that our own evil desires are active here. This is important for some of us because if we don't recognize that we have a role in this, 
we will not grow and mature in this area. And here's why. Perhaps for someone here, you've been placing the blame on God for your sin because he made you this way. He made me this way. Perhaps you've been blaming others for bad decisions that you've made. Perhaps you've blamed others for the breakdown in the relationships that poor choices you made. Perhaps you blame society for being so sexualized that you are the way you are. Perhaps you've laid the blame for your sin at the feet of any number of people, exes or abusers or parents or circumstances or any issue in your past. But it's time to clarify something here, and James does it. When it comes to temptation, when it comes to giving in to it, we need to own what is ours. No other human is making that decision for me. It is I and I alone. I had the desire. I was enticed. I entertained it, and then I acted on it. And owning that in our own selves, that dives, only that part of us that dives into sin, isn't, isn't a point of condemnation. I don't say this so you feel bad about it. This is not for condemnation. The sooner we own it, we are in the starting blocks of freedom. Owning it is the important step on the way to maturity and growth and freedom. For as long as I place the blame anywhere else, I won't grow and mature in that area. James is clear. He does not mince words here. Our own evil desires are active. So step one in temptation is own it. Own it. In the places that you have failed and crossed the line, own it. And when you own it, you can begin to see where you are tempted most. And listen, knowing where you are vulnerable and how you're vulnerable, that is very vital information. That is important information to know. Here's a good saying regarding that. It says, a sheep doesn't walk into a dangerous situation. A sheep doesn't just walk into a dangerous situation. A sheep puts its head down and grazes into danger. You see, a sheep will indifferently and ignorantly graze away following the grass and at some point look up and find itself away from the flock and in the, in the wolf's den. Now listen, it's important that we know our danger zones, that we know where we're weak and vulnerable because it's the point, if, you, if you're grazing through a mall and you're on a diet, if you're at the mall and you're on a diet and you find yourself in the Cinnabon aisle, don't wonder why the next day you wake up from a sugar coma. How did that happen? If you're in a relationship and you're trying to remain pure and you're watching Netflix out of, after midnight, don't try to solve the mystery later of what happened. <laughs> if you don't want to be online, if you want, if you want, if you want to avoid internet sinkholes, don't be online when you're vulnerable. Get um, accountability programs or partners. Do you want to avoid envy and jealousy and insecurity? Well, stop comparing your real life to the fake lives of those on Facebook. Stop comparing your real moments to their highlight reel on Instagram. Do you want to avoid the desire to murder someone? Well, then don't drive the pass in a snowstorm. Like, we know these things, <laughs> right? Apply wisdom. Know where you're vulnerable. Own your temptation. Be aware of where you're vulnerable. Be aware of when you're vulnerable. Be vigilant on the places where you are tempted. Don't be ignorant or indifferent about your weaknesses. Because I'll tell you this. It is the places that you are indifferent or ignorant or arrogant that you are most likely to fall to temptation. 
So step one, own it. James 1, 14 through 15. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. Something is conceived. And, and you only conceived after there's been some consummation. So whatever the temptation was, you acted on it. The temptation wasn't sin, but you took the bait and sin it is now. And after your temptation was conceived, it gives birth. And, and a birth is something new, something is created. It gives birth. Now the reality is that sin is most fun when it's first birthed. Whatever the temptation is, whether it's lust or gossip or anger or jealousy, the initial action at one time or another is pleasing. I mean, how good is it when you've, your, your diet is going so well and you... You break it for that first Colorado donut. Or what about that first illicit touch after all the flirting? Or that first click after a difficult day? Or that juicy bit of news you just found out about that person you don't like that you just might have to tell somebody? It feels there's some good feeling in that. In fact, science has proven that when you break that barrier, there's a release of endorphins and hormones that, that light up our pleasure center. And, and as fun and as swell as that might sound, these releases begin to rewire brains and endocrine systems that lead to unhealthy patterns. Sin is great at first, but the price tag is always more than we thought. A story you might have heard is that when my wife was pregnant, she wrote in big sharpie letters, sugar makes me sick on her arms, on her hands. And, and I was told that she's going to do that, and I was also told not to say anything when she was eating sugar, when sugar makes me sick on her hands. <laughs> but sugar tastes so good, doesn't it? And the temptation and the fulfillment tastes so good of temptation. But as good as the temptation and sin feel, our spirit is left feeling sick at the end. It's a sweet moment that will cost you. James 1.15, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Temptation gives birth to sin. But sin doesn't stay nice and small and cute. Sin doesn't stay small. It grows. And it grows up into something. And it creates something of its own. And it says it's death here. You know, sin never brings life to you. Sin will always Always bring death to your life. Death of your character. Death to your relationships. Death into your spiritual life, your physical body, your mental and emotional well-being. Sin grows up and at some point, the birth death to the things, the birth of death affects the things that matter most to us. And this is the saddest part. And hear me on this. Sin offers you zero positive constructive or wise outcomes it offers you nothing positive and yet it takes from you what you love most sin is stealing from us right now and what it is stealing from us is what is worth most to us so after setting the record straight on who needs to own their temptation james fittingly ends with this he says don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters Stop fooling yourselves. Own your sin. Own your temptation. Know where you're vulnerable. And, and don't be deceived and think that God is tempting you. 
He's not. And he goes on to say, because every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. If it's good and it's perfect and it's pure, it's from God. God doesn't pass out addiction and lust and divorce. Instead, God calls us to integrity. He calls us to holiness and grace and forgiveness. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, the God of heavenly lights who does not shift or change. God is good, and he calls you to good. Don't be deceived. From now on, anytime you think your temptation is a test from God, don't be deceived. A good father doesn't do that. When it comes to temptation, own it, confess it, and walk it. Confess it. Confess it to God. Confess it to God who sent Jesus so that we can have forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're here today and you feel a weight of condemnation from your temptation and your sin, I want to remind you of a principle that we say often here. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. And, and, and when sin is birthed, the enemy tries to condemn us, and con condemnation drives us away from God. You ever, you ever been in sin and you're like, oh, God wants nothing to do with me? so ashamed that's not God's voice that's the enemy you see God gives us conviction which says my son my daughter come to me where there's forgiveness he always calls us back and the enemy always pushes us away from him so first John 1 9 this is it this is where he confesses if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from some of our unrighteousness from all unrighteousness. Whatever you are so ashamed of that you can't even think about, that whatever that thing is that you don't even, it just, you don't even like to even let it in you, confess it. He forgives all unrighteousness, all sin. I would go further and, and I would say confess it to somebody else too. I mean, if you're serious about stopping some of these things, tell someone, confess to somebody where you're struggling, ask for help. If your pride is what keeps your sin a secret, your pride might be what destroys you. Interesting fact about temptation, it's always most dangerous when it's in the shadows. Sin is dangerous when it's a secret. But bring that temptation to the surface, to the light, and watch what happens with it. The more public with your temptation, Honestly, the less vulnerable you are. Go public with your temptation now so you don't have to go public with your sin later. Given the choice, I would much rather go public with temptation. And some of you are on the brink of some decisions and I would encourage you, heed this. And before you make that decision, go public with the temptation you're struggling with. Only Jesus can cleanse you, but also only through following Jesus can we be set free, which is the final point. Galatians 5.16, this is walk it. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the lusts of the flesh. That's the enticing, the, all those things. Do you know why your daily relationship with God is so vital? Because there's a well-beaten path down temptation that leads to death. But there is a path to life that requires us to walk closely with God's Spirit.
In fact, Galatians 5.25 says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with God's Spirit. And you can't keep in step with somebody if you're not watching them. You can't follow a guide that you're ignoring. You can't follow a guide that you're indifferent to most of the day. You have to be aware to keep in step to walk. Keeping in step is how we do what first, or 2 Corinthians 10.5 says. It says this, We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Every thought. Why Jesus? Because remember, He's the main thing. Even in temptation, even in your thought life, Jesus is the main thing. Make your thoughts obedient to Jesus. And if you get a thought that is not Jesus, and he, then make it obedient to it. Get rid of it. Rebuke it. We keep in step with the Spirit by aligning our lives with the way that God would call us to live. And that's, that's feeding our souls on his word and putting down roots into his word. And in your bulletin, you'll see this week, we've got some, some, some ways to study. If you look in there and it's some, some memory verses, begin there if you don't have anything on your own. But not all, and then praying, not just speaking to God, but listening and receiving. And then worshiping. Here is a corporate body, but also in your own life. And not just singing a song, but having your heart engage in adoration. Authentic worship. And then also community relationships and accountability. And this is why growth groups are more than just a, they're not a marketing ploy of this church. We're really not just trying to get people to do it for, for that sake. You see, growth groups are vital. It's a part of Amy and I's faith walk. And it spurs us on to the way we want to live. I am in a growth group with people who are strong and loving. And they've done life with us for years. And they pray for us and they fight for us. They know us. They've cried for us. They celebrate with us. And we for them. It's not extra credit for Amy and I. It's vital to our faith walk to have people like that in our lives. And then moment by moment, as we keep in step with the Spirit, open to his nudge or his whisper at any moment. God will lead you down paths of righteousness for those who are up to follow. And when you follow him, it says, you will not gratify the lusts of your flesh. James echoes this very thing as he says later in James 4, verse 7. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He reminds us there is an enemy. We have that part of us that has an impulse to sin, but we have someone else involved too. I love this. We have an enemy, and it says, uh, this part right here, it says, the enemy knows your name, but calls you by your sin. While God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. That's the enemy who consistently wants to rip you away and then condemn you so bad you never go back. Where God knows all your sin, but calls you son and daughter and calls you home. And the reality is this morning, some of you need to hear this, there's nothing you have done that can keep you from Jesus and his sacrifice. And you might say, you have no idea how much I've sinned. Now I'd say, you have no idea how much he loves you. Now you would say, you have no idea how far off I've gone. I would say, you have no idea how far he's gone for you. That Jesus lived a perfect life and died and rose again to create a way for the Father that you could be set free, that you could have freedom and forgiveness for all your sin. So the enemy knows your name but calls you by your sin. While God knows your sin and calls you by your name, who will you partner with in that equation? 
You don't have to fight this alone. You can't. Submitting to God and his plan is step one. Submit to God in his, the way he wants you to, to, to be as his son or his daughter. And then resist. And when you're re- submitted to God and you stand against sin, he promises that the devil, the tempter, will flee from you. Own it, confess it, and walk it. And today, um, many of us need to pause and own the temptation in our life. It's a good step to do this. It can, be, it can be frightening, but you need to own where you're tempted and how you're tempted. And during communion, I would, I would ask that you would sit down and have a, have a discussion with Jesus and own up to your temptation and ask for his help in those places and perhaps ask somebody else's help to help you fight there too. Second is confess it. And, and as you hold the elements of communion, remember this is the symbol of Jesus' blood and his body that was shed for us. And if you're a guest here, I want to remind you that there's no class to take to do communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And if you want to remember him, you're welcome. It's an open table. And when you come and get the elements and you sit down and you're holding the symbol of his broken body and his shed blood, which is the path of the Father and through forgiveness, I would take a moment and have a confession. Get it all out. He knows it. Confess it. And as 1 John 1, 9 says that he's faithful and just to forgive you. But confess, confess, and thank him for his sacrifice. Thank, you that he, thank him that he paid the price for that forgiveness. And know that he receives you with grace and love. And finally, walk it. There's some adjustments that some of us need to make in our life. Because we can, we can own it and confess it and walk out of here and forget it. For some of us, we need to walk this, align ourselves with how God wants us to live. Orchard, we don't have to be victims to temptation. I want to remind you, you're actually not a victim. You're an active participant. But God has called us to be more than conquerors. And he wants to, to, to strengthen us in such a way, through grace and love, supernaturally, that we don't have to gratify those things. But it's going to take some honest prayer and honest conversation with yourself and maybe with others. And so as we go into communion, we're going to have some people up front to pray. If you, would, if you maybe have some more things you want to pray about in this regard to this. But my ask is that you would have a conversation with God right there in your seat. Some confession, some ownership, and ask him for his help and walk it. And then we're going to rise and sing one of my favorite songs. It says, Jesus is better. And Charlie said it so well last service. He said, when it comes to temptation, as good as you thought fulfilling that temptation was going to be, Jesus is always better. It's such a great trade-up. So I want to challenge you during this final song after communion that you maybe for the first time would worship with your heart and soul. That he is greater. He is better than anything you have. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And we are sick of our sin. Aren't we? We are sick of it. I pray, Father, that you, in your tender strength, would speak to us right now. Father, some of us need you. We are on the precipice of making decisions. Some of us, Father, are over the cliff and we need to rescue But Jesus, right now, I pray that you would, your spirit would be so clear, so loving.
so firm. In Jesus' name, amen.